Bandwidth for Communication Lab is provided by Emphasis, world leaders in business writing training. For free resources and course information, go to www.writing-skills.com. Hello, welcome to the Communication Lab. It's Andy White here. I'm joined by Rob Ashton. And in today's show, contact lenses. In fact, bionic contact lenses that show you stuff in front of you. Is email dead? The overuse of adjectives. And we are joined by Cherie Alexander. Hello, Cherie. Hello, how are you? I'm very, very well indeed. Interesting article recently in the BBC about these uh, bionic contact lenses that enable you to sort of see stuff in front of you. Rob, what do you make of it? Any use in, in communication here? I think this is quite scary, actually. I'm really hesitant to say this will never take off because, you know, how many times has that been said before? We really are seeing science fiction becoming science fact. Uh, I mean, I use um, a smart pen now, which basically records conversations as you're writing and mm-hmm. and references them to what you happen to be writing when some something was said. So if you click on a particular word, it will play back to you what was being said at the time. Now that's, you know, that's James Bond. It's in, uh, and yet that that's a fact now. The idea of emails being projected before your eyes in, in a contact lens, oh, just, I, that's awful. You know, I'm Would bad enough. I can't get away from my iPhone and, anyway. Wouldn't it get in the way of things? Like when you're crossing the road, you, you'd sort of get run over because you were reading an email from your aunt or something. Well, you, that'd be a great excuse, actually. <laughs> you? If someone says you're not listening to me, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm reading my email, sorry. That's right, yeah. You know, yeah. So. Well, you could, you could read your email surreptitiously while people thought you were paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be great in meetings, wouldn't it? That glazed look, you know, it's actually not someone drifting off into the distance. It's somebody actually uh, ordering a pizza for delivery at, you know, seven o'clock tonight or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's like all of these things when you've got the, the bleeding edge of technology, which is where I spend too much of my time. I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I think it's possibly a worrying development about the pervasiveness of email. But... Um, no, I just, you know, I guess you've got to try these things. Sherry, before I ask you to comment, I'm going to introduce you like I should have at the beginning of the, of the show. Because <laughs> I know good. you started off acting, didn't you? Then you moved on to speech writing and coaching, a professional speaker, and you work with a lot of Fortune 100 companies, don't you? Yes, yeah. I, I started out as an actress and uh, did the whole classically trained bit, actually even studied at the University of London for a period of time and went to New York as, as an actor does. And uh, was broke and was eating top ramen, which I don't know if you guys have over there. So substitute macaroni and cheese. Oh, really? Well, we have macaroni cheese. It's quite nice. Yes. That sounds like pot noodle, actually. We have pot noodle. (laughs) Sounds like pot noodle. Three meals a day of that. Um, Get a little bit old. (laughs) I should imagine it does. Well, then just after that, after I had my world come crashing in on me when I had no money, then I actually started coaching business professionals on the techniques of the stage and how to captivate an audience. And from that evolved into speech coaching, which evolved into speech writing, Mm. and which evolved into being a professional speaker myself. Fantastic. And um, something we're going to touch on later, not just yet, but certainly later and look forward to it, is uh, you know all about how to um, say things such that you can get whatever you want. Is that right? Yes, in essence. It's uh, taking a different, more mindful approach to daily communications that people take for granted pretty much all the time. 
Sounds pretty good. So, so what do you make of this um, this contact lens thing, then, uh, Sherry? Do you, do you think it's got it's got legs? I think it does in a certain way. I think it's cool and creepy at the same time. Mm. There, in the article, it referenced Terminator style, and I think that that's kind of <laughs> interesting. It also made me think of Minority Report with Tom Cruise when he's using the computer screen and moving things around. I don't know about reading email because that doesn't really make sense to me, just reading it. And then what do you do? Where where do you hit the send button with your pupil? Or I don't understand that. <laughs> you just look uh, to the left or look to the right, maybe triggers it. I'm not maybe. quite sure. I mean, that would look just weird, weird, wouldn't it? Watch people. <laughs> yeah, <the> exactly. <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> He's sending an email to his auntie. <laughs> and I think, you know, if somebody's hitting the send button and, you know, some woman thinks that he's looking at her butt or something, might get a slap and all he's trying to do is send off an email. I don't know. Um, but I was then, trying to send an email, Your Honour. <laughs> it's going to be the new excuse. <laughs> and what about email um, rage as well? You know, people suddenly burst out and go, ah, in the middle of, middle of the, you know, middle of the supermarket. And it's ah, like, more spam. Oh, God. It, it, always hate it when people do that. Sorry. But it's know, not just email, is it? Off, I mean, you, you know. they're talking about projecting anything. I mean, if you think about it, the um, possibilities are almost endless. You know, you can project anything in front of you. Well, yeah, the cool thing that they mentioned was the putting a like a GPS roadmap in front of you while you're driving. So yeah. that way, instead of having to look at the screen or listen to the lady's voice guiding you, then you could just use that. That would be pretty cool. I don't know if I want contact lenses for that. Can't I just have like some funky headband or something that would do that? Yeah, like a heads-up visor heads up would be display, pretty cool. Yeah. It may look yeah. slightly strange, though, in the middle of, you know, while you're doing your shopping, you've got your heads-up visor on. Well, it could be the new fashion. <laughs> yeah, it could be. But it would be great fun if you could uh, sort of hack into other people's and just control it and just suddenly make a big zombie appear in front of them or something and make them jump. <laughs> now we're seeing your true nature. I, I don't think we're taking this seriously enough. No, we're, I'm not. Sorry, we're not. You know. See, I'm interested what the, what, what the possibilities are uh, from a communication standpoint. So I'm wondering if, if something like this could actually aid communication. Well, maybe if it was like a screen sharing version. So if you pop in the contact lenses and then I'm trying to describe something to you. And so we see the same PowerPoint or Mm. same website at the same time, instead of me describing some funny YouTube video, I just show it to you. I I Mm. don't know. Maybe that would be something. And video conferencing as well. Mm. You know, you could, you could have an image of the person you're video conferencing with. So it really would seem like they're there in the room you know it's but couldn't you just have that on a computer screen anyway well i mean this is only useful if you're moving around isn't it right but of course reading email with your uh, contact lenses is one thing but email according to uh, mark zuckerberg might be dead uh, an article that appeared recently i think i've seen a few of these email is dead articles i don't know is email dead i don't think so i don't think so I understand what Mark is talking about with the message function and everything and Facebook. And I mean, he seems to always have pretty lofty goals. I think world domination is pretty much on his radar. Mm. But one person in there kind of mentioned how the message service within Facebook or even Google chat or something could be considered email because it's just basically from one device to another. But I think the big thing that those are missing that I haven't seen really work is attaching files. And then also for corporate use, I need to be able to copy my business partner on emails or even blind copy certain Mm. individuals on other emails. And and you don't have that function in any sort of the messaging services. 
Very interesting thing, thing uh, to me, in, well, there's a few interesting things, but one of them was the fact that apparently the younger generation are, are not using email very much, but there's speculation that they use it more as soon as they sort of go to work. Yeah, I think that's precisely what you just said. A bit of a shock, yeah, when they, when they get into work. Yeah, for, for, for those reasons. I mean, what, what he actually said, as, as uh, Cherie hinted there, was that we don't think a modern messaging system is going to be email. And that's different from saying that email is dead. Mm. Um, we're using a Twitter-type clone, we use Salesforce, the uh, customer mm-hmm. relationship management system, and it has something uh, called Chatter, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an internal version of, of Twitter. Now, I say we're using it. We, we've got it, but we don't mm-hmm. tend to use it. Now, whether we will in the future, I don't know. You know, Maybe that's just me being a, a – I don't think of myself as a Luddite. I'm a bit of an early adopter, and yet with this, for some reason – you know, I started using it, and then it just seems slightly pointless. Mm. Uh, and with email, it's yeah, it's not perfect. It's far from perfect, but it's it's permanent. I mean, Twitter is just like this this idea of a flow, isn't yeah, it? A flow of information yeah. before your yeah, eyes, and I'm not sure I want a flow of information. I think also. You know, Facebook has this thing now where it prioritizes, doesn't it? It says, actually, we think this stuff is important, mm. therefore you should read this. So particular chats, particular threads are moved to the top. Again, that's is that not just one more thing? Is that, is that, I'm, I'm a control freak. Is that not just losing one more little part of contr- of your control over of your working day? Because it's a bit like having somebody constantly interrupting you saying, forget this. You should be, this is important. Why don't you read this? I don't, I don't want a messaging yeah. system to be doing that. Google Mail does the same thing. Does it? Yeah, Google Mail, it kind of says, uh, because you have used the word artichoke in your subject line, we deem this email to be important. Yeah. <laughs> so it tries to do like a word analysis of what you've been reading before. Yeah. What do you think, well, Sherry? With, with Google, uh, Google Mail, you can, uh, you can do the prioritization, but you can also tell it how you want it to sort. So I want the most important at the top, or I want unread ones at the top, or just show me the most recent ones. Yeah. So you can sort that. The thing with Facebook is, and I know a lot of people who are having not enjoying the new timeline functions of, we think this is important, so we're going to put this at the top. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, as a user, you miss out on the most recent stuff and you see the same things over and over. So you can't get the most recent unless you hit that button and uh, that says view the most recent 65 messages or something. Mm. But then also as people who network on Facebook and advertise their businesses, it's really annoying because people who would see the posts, because we would know what our best times were to post something around um, 8 a.m. or 2 p.m., we know that we would get higher hits during those times. Well, now Facebook is deciding what's read-worthy or not. So then certain groups of our people are seeing it, but then other groups aren't, just randomly because Facebook says so. Yeah, it's and interesting because, you know, it makes you wonder, is there, oh, I suppose there must be a, a role for social media in business. I mean, it's such a different mode of communication, isn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I just, what I would like is, I think there's a difference of what's on the wall posts and the Twitter feed versus the direct messages in Twitter and the messages within, like the chat within Facebook. What I would love, and maybe it's out there, maybe some awesome tech savvy person out there can tell me what it is, but what I would love is one spot for my email 
my direct messages and my Facebook messages to go to. So I don't have to check those three platforms. A single place for Twitter, direct messages, Facebook messages, LinkedIn messages, and my email to be all in one platform. So I don't have to check all the others or go to that system to reply. Mm -hmm. I just want to reply in one central hub that can be send it off to all the different spokes. That would be useful. That's kind of what the iPhone, the new iPhone four. I say new iPhone four. The iPhone four been has been around for ages now, but the uh, the iPhone four has that functionality where you can just pull. Have you got an iPhone four? Yes, yes, yeah? I do. Four S. Do you guys have the four S now? Yeah, we have the four S. Okay. I'm supposed to be ordering one. Yeah, I haven't got it yet. <laughs> I have a four. I, I'm sorry, I'm a bit embarrassed. I've only got a four. But my wife had the 4S. Anyway, that's a, that's a different thing. But yes, uh, I like the way it, um, it sort of groups together your, your email and your calendar things and your, your various bits and bobs. I think it's called a messaging system, isn't it? You can sort of have like a message alert type thing that you pull down from the top. Talking of message alerts and, uh, and words and, and adjectives and verbs and all sorts of bits and bobs, interesting article by... It's actually Dan Zarella, isn't it? interesting odd uh, blog post yeah, hi- recently yeah hierarchy of con- the hierarchy of contagiousness author of of hierarchy of contagiousness can, if i can say it correctly what he just said and yeah, um, he was saying something very interesting that uh, overuse of adjectives and pronouns can make text or articles less viral less shareable have you uh, read this sherry yeah, you don't sound convinced. <laughs> yeah, I can I can hear the the, the skepticism just rolling all the way over from from Oklahoma. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing. Okay, there's there's a few layers to this. One is as a writer, a person who does writing in different formats fairly often. Don't take away my adjectives. I mean, come on. That's what makes it interesting and fun and and gives me that chance to be a little bit more artistic. So that's no bueno. The other thing is that um, I understand that the data probably shows that, but there's so many different blog posts that nowadays I understand what goes viral, especially if you read articles on um, stumble upon what gets stumbled upon more often and shared more often. Mm. Um, And those are the how-tos, and there's quite a bit of lists and bullet points. So when you're doing the list articles or just bullet points, you're using short, curt sentences anyway. And I understand that maybe there's it's easier to send things and share things because you can just scan them. But I think it depends on what you're trying to go for and what your target market is. If you want to go viral to everybody – then okay, fine. But if you have a target market that you're working within, you probably know what language that target market is interested in. We get more comments on our blogs that are actually more lengthy and more um, do more storytelling than just the step one, step two, step three. And I think everything has its place. But don't take away my adjectives. <laughs> I, I think um, you know there is a case to be made for this. I think. It's a you know what we've been talking about for for years is that you know if you if you simplify your language if you make it much punchier then obviously it's going to have a lot more impact and uh, the, I think years ago we quoted the author Walter Mosley who said that simple language is dangerous language mm. dangerous in this sense being a good thing yeah, good danger uh, yeah it's some, it's going to make a difference and I, I suppose removing excess adjectives and adverbs um could could help with that so i i see what he's saying it's uh i suppose he's just saying you know make it 
make it punchier. It'd be interesting to to know the, the the detail of this. Maybe that's something we can go into on another program. But um, mm. I, I think the idea is okay. But actually, specifically, you know, the the idea that it's um, that it's adjectives you remove, and if you you know, as Shari says, if you if you take all of them out, you're running the risk it could be a little bit dull. Mm. And if you and if you distill everything down to its bare bones, I suppose it's the danger of of um, of advice being applied uniformly and, and a little knowledge being a dangerous thing, isn't it? Well, and as the phrase goes, editing is writing. And so I think where most people make the mistake in their written communications online is they pretty much post their first draft. Yeah. They just brain dump and then post it out there and see what happens versus taking the time to edit it down. And I think, like you said, there is simple language, absolutely, but you can use four or five adjectives for something, but then if you really think about it, you can probably find one adjective that perfectly describes what you're going for. And taking something down from five words to one is always going to be the goal. Um, I'm going to terribly paraphrase this saying, but it's kind of well known that Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter once to a friend and said, I apologize for the length of this letter. If I had more time, it would be shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Absolutely, it's the concept of easy read, difficult write, isn't it? You know, it's mm. if you if you've got something that's very easy to read and 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 does have impact, then what that you can usually bet that the author has has taken longer to write it. You know, from Benjamin Franklin right. onwards, it's um, you know, it does, you can't and and you know, it's a wider point, but the internet has really made writers of everybody. You know, you know, if you said two decades ago, what do you do? And someone said they're a writer, then that meant a a few things, which which meant you know they've been published, they they've been through some kind of filtering process, whether that's the editor on the local rag, or whether it's um, the the publisher of a, a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Um, at least it meant there was some kind of filter there. Whereas now everybody's a writer, and and the the term I think has been devalued. So maybe we need this kind of advice that you know whether it's going to get anywhere and actually let's face it if you say if you want something to go viral then you need to write it well then i'm not going to argue with that because that's just what you're doing there is incentivizing people to write it well and maybe spend a little bit more time on on getting it right um than as sherry says just um just whacking it up there and Mm. you know sort of running up the flagpole and seeing who salutes you know i've got an idea now for a blog post i'm gonna write um 10 top tips on writing a 10 top tips blog post (laughs) i think that'll go viral yeah i think it might do (laughs) depends on how many adjectives you've got in there i I, I don't use all the adjectives well moving on from writing and uh moving more on to speaking uh sherry Hey, I know something about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Public speaking. anyone knows anything Um, about that? Yes, how to get what you want every time you speak. I know, pretty lofty, isn't it? It is, it is. Tell us more. (laughs) Well, um, so when I'm out on the speaking circuit and speaking to companies and different organizations around the world, this is usually the program that they bring me in for. And where we start with it is always understanding that communication in daily life is a skill set, but we take it for granted so often. And I usually compare it to learning to drive a car. When I learned to drive a car at 15 and a half, which is when you get your permit here in the States, 
you learn the steps. You learn, okay, 10 and 2 on the steering wheel and check your mirrors and make sure your safety belt is fastened in and make sure you have the emergency brake when you park on an incline and all of these different things. And when I learned to drive, I drove a, a hunk of junk. It was absolutely a terrible piece of crap car because I probably was going to crash it, which is why my parents gave me that one. <laughs> and But I drove it very carefully. Well, now... I'm an adult and I have my own car that I've bought and paid for and I don't drive it so carefully. I tailgate people. I put on makeup sometimes when I'm driving. I do look at my phone once in a while. No. I know. Oh, no. I know. It's terrible, but I've It's gained- all right. No one's listening anyway. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have a quiet word with both of our listeners and tell them not to spread the word. <laughs> Well, none of the cops in the UK can get me, so hopefully I'll be safe there. But some of your state's listeners may turn me in. Um, but I, I've developed a skill set in driving that I've developed confidence, and I take that skill set for granted more often. The difference between learning to drive a car and communicating is that when we learn to communicate with one another, we were way too young to remember the steps involved in being effective. We were just babies, and when we cried, mom or dad would come in and figure out what was wrong. And we never really learned those step one, step two, step three. It all just sort of came together. And so what we talk about in the program of Get What You Want Every Time You Speak is learning to be more observant and taking this perspective of paying attention to the other person, their needs, their wants, versus what we usually do when we take this skill set for granted is what is it that I want to say? What is it that I need to express? What is it that I want them to do for me? And that is where communication just goes haywire. And eighty they say that 80% of workplace problems come from miscommunications. And uh, so we have some steps that we go through to bring people to a certain awareness and be able to adjust their communications to bring that percentage down and as well as make everybody happy because then people are getting what they want. And so that's sort of the basics of it. Can you um, can you give an example of, of where something might go wrong, where somebody is not being observant of, uh, of the other person's needs and wants. <laughs> yes. So this is my own personal tragedy story. So where most people go wrong is they come from their own perspective versus what is it of the other person's perspective. When you don't think about the other person and what their thoughts are, their situations, you might run into a situation like this. A few Christmases ago, uh, I think I was only 21, 22 at the time, my grandmother, who's kind of from the old world, I guess you could say, thought that I should have been married with kids by then, because that's when you are apparently supposed to be married with children, and uh, I was single at the time, and so she decided to make light of the situation because certainly I would probably be embarrassed by the fact I hadn't found a husband and sad. So she was going to get me a funny gift to help lighten the mood and make me feel better about myself. Oh, bless her. (laughs) How helpful. What was the gift? (laughs) So I opened it up in front of my friend's family and God. And, um, it's a, an embroidered pillow. So already it's a winner. It's embroidered. <laughs> <A woman. laughs> and 
it's a picture of a, a, a woman sitting on a park bench. And you can tell it's a woman because she's wearing a pink dress, but she's dead and she's just a skeleton now. <laughs> and, it says, and it says on it, waiting for Mr. Right. Uh, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> oh, I bet that did the trick. Uh, I and bet you said, thanks. Thanks for the advice. That's really helped. Because she's my grandmother, so I don't want to upset her or anything. I just had this terrible fake smile and said, thanks. (laughs) She knew what she was doing. I love the way that when people get to that age, they just don't give a stuff about what (laughs) other people think. I remember mine, you know, I had some glasses once and... And I said to my grandmother, uh, she said, oh, what, what are you wearing? And I said, oh, it's my new glasses, Nan. Do you like them? And she went, no, not really. You know, she's like, <laughs> just like she didn't care. You know, you're, she knew what she was doing. Anyway, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. I, I love the phrase, thanks, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is me being polite, but I'm also upset. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, from that, that's usually the example that I use of coming from your own perspective versus opening your mind up to what the other person is possibly thinking or feeling. And so a few ways that we start out is talking about one is body language because it is the most primal form of our communication. Uh, The majority of our communication comes from nonverbals. And when we speak, when we use words, it's actually the secondary function of our mouth, teeth, tongue, and throat. The primary function of that entire system is to eat. And so communication is secondary. And, but the body language is actually universal, obviously, amongst humans, but then also other animals. You train dogs with effective body language more than anything and, and energy. And I'm a huge fan of the dog whisperer. If you ever see that, then you'll see him alone. Yeah. Yes. Love him. Have a huge crush on him. I can't help it. It does have a just, dazzling smile, though. Maybe it's being a Is, is this the dog or the person? Uh, person. <laughs> All right. <laughs> No, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's, uh, he's amazing. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Yes. And so what we talk about is, one, understanding the body language that you project, and then also then observing other people's body language. And the first thing that we talk about, and the easiest one to describe via a show like this, since there's no visuals, is the process of norming. And um, Rob and I actually talked about this before is he's kind of been jaded by body language experts. And I completely agree with him because there's a bunch of terrible ones out there that say, if you cross your arms, then that means that you're upset. Well, it could just mean that you're cold. So Mm. you have to put everything in context. And that's what the process is of norming. So what that means is you observe an individual and figure out what is normal for them and their body language in certain situations. Because we'll act differently and have different body language at the office, and we'll have different body language at home, and we'll have different body language when we're out at the bar. So you figure out what is normal for that person in that certain context. Then, specifically in business, so if we understand what's normal for a person in the office, and then we have a meeting with them, and we're observant, you can watch and see and notice shifts that happen within their body language of if normally they're the person that's always on the edge of their seat and leaning forward and very engaged, 
then if I say something or bring up a topic and notice that all of a sudden this person slowly shifts back in their seat, leaning backwards, and then crosses their arms and tilts their head to the side, I know something's up. Mm. Something has changed. And that's where the true power of body language comes in. Um, people often ask, ask, well, somebody scratches their nose. That, doesn't that mean that they're lying? One specific movement of body language is not a sole indicator of anything. It's just like words and sentences. Scratching your nose is a word. What is the sentence that they're sharing with the rest of their body language? What are their feet doing? What are their legs doing? How is their head tilted? Are they uh, closed in? Are they open and territorial? So just like if I were to say the word red, well, does that mean the color red or does that mean I read a book last night? Mm. So the, it can be interpreted and determined, the meaning can be determined within the full sentence. And then once you look at the full sentence of that person's body language, you need to look at the paragraph, which is going to be the room and the energy and the people around them, because we act differently around different people that we like or don't like. So that's sort of the basic rundown of body language and, and norming. It's kind of um, a sorry to interrupt. It's kind of a difficult yeah. message, isn't it? Because um, you, you know what I like about this is it's not oversimplifying it. It's saying if you really want to understand somebody's body language, then you need to make, you need to take the time to observe them to know what's normal, and then to to observe what's not normal. Um, so much of the advice we get when it comes to communication is um it they're kind of pat answers you know it's the five top tips uh, you know coming back to andy's example earlier on <laughs> it's the five top tips um i know with um i read uh, something on neurolinguistic programming um and and that was talking about body language as well and it was saying look at somebody's eyes because uh you know they've, they've even sort of brought this down to a diagram to show how much of the cornea you could see how much of the white of the eyes you could see because you know if someone was looking up to the left then that meant they were ac- accessing the right part of their brain and if they were looking to the uh, up to the right you know it means that they're accessing the you know the the left part of their brain you know they could i don't know move forward five years they could be ch- just checking their email you know it's just so it's 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 a bit mad it's just it's just having it's saying oh yeah well that means this whereas what you're saying sherry is actually you do if you're going to use this it can be incredibly powerful but you do need you do need to put the hours in or the minutes yeah, you know the, and the whole key to get what you want every time you speak the first step and it's the biggest part of the pie here is first observing the other person. That's the key 100%. So just as you're talking about, I'm very familiar with the NLP and the looking up and to the left and the right. So how I would test that is I'm not going to know for sure that somebody, when they look up to look upward, generally speaking in NLP, that means that they're accessing the visual part. So they're seeing an image in their head. So what I would do is determine which parts they are accessing by having a conversation with them. So if I say, well, describe the view from your hotel on your last vacation, then I would watch their eyes and see where they're accessing. And then if I were to say, well, how was the band last night? How was the music? Then I would watch their eyes and see if they're going to the sides or going down. And from there, I'll be able to determine much later on when one, uh, this is really helpful in deceptive detection, 
and uh, I would use it for that. But then also I can I can tell if and this has re- this is really fine tuning this by the way. Nobody can do this just within an hour, but um, I would be able to tell when they are talking about something very happy, that something that makes them very happy and excited. Where are their eyes going? So if I then determine okay, they go to their visual part then I know it to be most persuasive and influential for them. I need to talk in visual imagery, accessing their visual part of their brain. Wow, you can, you can do that. You can do it at that level. I mean, it, it takes time, but yeah, definitely it's fine-tuning. But, and that's where the influential part of communications really come in, is you need to know what your goal is long before you start pitching an idea or trying to convince somebody of something. There's an observation time. In fact, I'm, I'm in the process of developing a book, and this is really kind of breaking news here, guys. Mm. But I'm, I'm setting up interviews with some very amazing individuals who are CIA agents, special forces, um, both here in the States and the UK, and also with um, the Israeli special forces as well and a bunch of different places and talking to these guys who are very tuned into human observation and then their job usually for the special forces they're the first guys on the ground and it's their job to make friends with the local influential people before the guys with the guns come in and take care of things and so how is it that they are able to turn somebody who might be an enemy into an asset what is that process? And and cops do the same thing. Police officers uh, get criminal informants. What is it that they do in that conversation? How are they trained? And then translating that over into the business world. So that's the basis of the book. And I'm trying not to share too much information on, on what I've, the discussions yet because there's some legal implications. So the body language aspect is has always been in these interviews, number one. You, you talk to these guys and they say, I can tell by just watching somebody across the street if they're going to be a friend or a foe or if they're about to, you know, attack somebody or something along those lines. Or I can tell if they've ever been a soldier. And, and every single one of these, it's the body language. So if you want to be influential and if you want to really tap into um, that rapport and develop that rapport with somebody, you have to start with the body language 100%. Shirley, when that book comes out, make sure you let me know because I want a copy of it. Yeah, me too. Sounds oh, fantastic. thank you. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. Uh, it's 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 been a lot of fun and very scary as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so briefly, what are what are the other? If we're talking about, um, I mean, yeah, let's let's get you sort of to, to distill everything you know about this about this amazing technique down into about thirty seconds. Obviously, that's that's unfair and it's not going to work. But you know, what are the other steps that, that we should be covering besides observing their body language? So yeah, once we do the body language, the next thing is observing theirs, and then the next one is to adjust your body language, understand what you're projecting. So the phrase that I always use is be what you want to see. So if you want to have somebody be friendly and engaged, then you also need to have friendly and engaged body language. And then once you can accomplish that, moving into the questions to ask yourself before you actually start to pitch the idea um, like if you're pitching a, a new campaign for the company or a different management system of some sort, there's a list of questions that you probably should ask yourself before you have that conversation. Some of the questions are going to be, what are the needs of that person and what are the wants of that person? Because those are two very different things. I want 
to be skinny, cute, and have a great bikini body. But what I need to do is eat less and exercise more. But I don't want to hear that I need to eat less and exercise more. So you have to tap into both of those. The other one is what are you doing to make their life better? How is it, what is the end goal going to look like if they implement your idea? Make sure that they can see what it will be like if they do and also what it will be like if they don't. What are going to be the downsides if they don't use your idea? And then the other one is also being aware of what are the problems that you are going to cause. So in essence, if you're proposing a new idea or concept, you are creating change. People don't like change. It's going to complicate their lives in some form or fashion and they don't like it. You need to be aware of that and then actually bring that up and say, look, I understand that there's going to be a learning curve and some new processes implemented, but, and then give the benefit statement after that. And so if you concede to the fact that you understand that there's going to be something that they're not going to enjoy, then they are actually going to trust you even more. Because if you come in saying, with this one little pill, you'll be able to live longer, look great, and have better sex, it's not believable. I need to understand there will be some downsides. Oh, there's going to be you know, a list of problems with that one pill. Okay, now at least I understand that you're being truthful. So those are some of the basic questions. There's about um, 12 or so, but those are the most poignant and powerful, I would say. Maybe we can get some of the others on the show notes, maybe, do you think? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, the, what, what you're saying there um, really, I think, has parallels in, in good writing because, um, you know, exactly what you said about needs and wants, people, people are interested in what they want, not in what they need. Otherwise, we'd all be, you know, on health we'd all be on healthy diets and you know mm. it's we just we just don't do that so you've got to make people want what they need uh, absolutely and the idea of of what's in it for me why should i do this why should i bother the downsides and upsides a bit of a local flavor on that actually because i i don't know what i've heard it said that if you want to sell to americans for instance then you talk about their hopes and dreams um, whereas if you want to sell to a Brit, you talk about their problems. <laughs> what does that say about us? Uh, well, that says for miserable, you know, so and so. Miserable. But, but you know, it, it's like, uh, you know, we, we sort of, we, we, um, we build rapport by going, yeah, no, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, no, tell me about it, you know, rather than look how great life could be. So I just wonder, you know, whether an upside and downside thing, there might actually be a kind of a local adjustment there, you know, sort of depending on culturally. Um, what what you're dealing with but anyway that's sort of cultural modality yes mm. i think yeah there might be i mean certainly there's going to be nuances to that but i think you still have the downsides in there like you may just punch them up a little bit more on the uk side but over here you can't go all happiness and sunshine and light because then we're still skeptics we're yeah. still and we we are big time consumers and so therefore we're even more skeptical if something's too good to be true it's unrealistic isn't it yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I can I just mention just briefly the um, we talked about the webinar. Um, yes, the webinar a few, a few episodes ago. Um, that is, the, I'm going to put it on the show notes. That is, if, uh, if any of our listeners missed that, um, we can they can now access it just by clicking the link. I'll put that in the show notes. The the webinar is how to supercharge any sentence in sixty seconds. Uh, we ended up having uh, people from all over the world taking part in that. It, it was amazing from from China, India, through to Australia, the US, and all over Europe. So I think what this shows is it's you know there's a real appetite for for that kind of advice. 
voice. Um, so if you missed it and you're listening, then um, check out the show notes and we'll put the link in there and you can listen again to it. Fantastic. Thanks, Rob. And many thanks to Sherry Alexander. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank you for having me. It was fun, guys. And we'll see you next time on the Communication Lab. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Communication Lab was brought to you by Emphasis Business Writing Trainers. Sign up for free training at www.writing-skills.com. Thank you.